Well, happy Mother's Day to all the mums and grandmothers and aunties and everyone out there that has the great privilege of mothering another human being. You know, making, making a real human being is a big deal and naming one is too. Now, I want you to vote here. You can put up your, your hand even if you're sitting at home. Uh, but I want to know, when it came to naming a, a child, who fought viciously with maybe their partner over the name? Um, uh, who named their child after a, a family member? Uh, who chose a name to sound cool, different, to stand out from the crowd? Who wanted the name to sound normal or traditional? You know, don't give the bullies any ammo. Who chose their child's name because of the meaning of the name? I'm guilty of all of the above. The name you choose for your baby has far more effect than you might imagine, can influence how others see your child and, and how they see themselves. I wonder how many of you out there like your name? Who wishes their parents had chosen differently? Let me know and I'll pray for you. <laughs> Sometimes parents try so hard to be creative they can go a bit too far. Now, I found a few of these uh, on the internet which I thought were hilarious. So let's have a quick look at them. How about this one? You get this? Erica. Yep, you can roll your eyes. How about this one? Brick. Maybe they want it to sound strong, but it sounds like a bit of a jab at the kids' intelligence. As I said, don't give them a name that gives the bullies any fuel. Here we go. Candida. Means pure white, very feminine. It's also a nasty fungal infection. Here's a creative choice. Felony. Maybe Melanie would have been a better choice. Isis. Okay. Ancient Egyptian goddess of fertility and strength. But don't you read the news? <laughs> Did you know that God as a name. We are starting a major series here inspired by a great book by John Mark Comer. You might think names are important now, but in ancient biblical times, to learn a person's name was like having access to their very character. It's like you knew who a person was when you knew their name. Who is God? What is he like? Does he, does he have a name? When we talk about God, 10 people could think 10 different things. The one who ruined your wedding with a rainy day. The one who ignored you when you prayed for your loved one to be healed of cancer. The one who painted the natural world with exquisite beauty and colour. The one who miraculously introduced you to the perfect man-woman. The one who 
refused to calm the forces of an earthquake that killed over 50,000 people in Syria in February this year. What is God like? Is God he, she? Is it a force that controls the universe? You know, we all know the Star Wars, may the force be with you. You know, in a recent survey Americans of Americans, it said that the majority believed in the force. And the force is actually a pagan concept that all living things have a power that combines and fuels the universe. But is God just a force? Or does God have a personality? Is he a person that we can know? Is he like us? Is he kind? Is he cruel? Is he left-wing, right-wing? Is he close or is he far off? Is God and the Christian religion even good for the world anymore? Or is it just a source of violence and bigotry and hypocrisy? Respected theologian A.W. Tozer said this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Really? The most important? More important than gender, sexuality, ethnicity, family of origin? Take a moment. What comes to your mind when you think of God? I think that Tozer, that what Tozer is saying has some truth. If we believe that God is angry and judgmental, that's going to affect how we relate to people, how we think about ourselves. If we believe that God is an impersonal force out there somewhere who has no connection with us, then we will probably struggle through life believing we are all on our own. No one is coming to help to save us. We just have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do the best we can. If we believe he is a big cosmic teddy bear that just covers his eyes when we sin, then our sense of morality is going to be skewed. Let me read this quote from John Mark Comer. The ISIS terrorist beheading the infidel. The prosperity gospel celebrity preacher getting out of his hummer after late night drinks with Kanye West. The Westboro Baptist picketer outside a military funeral screaming, God hates fags. The Hindu sacrificing a goat to Shiva. The African witch doctor sacrificing a little boy the U.S. Army sniper praying to God before he takes the shot, the peace activist risking her neck to stop another war because she believes in Jesus' teaching on enemy love, the Catholic nun giving up a normal life to live in poverty and work for social change. All of these men and women do what they do because of what they believe about God. What we think about God matters. I think most people that are outside the church maybe have some caricatures about God, but they have no real idea of who God is, what his character is. I think most people inside the church have some idea, hopefully, 
but we don't get it all right. But we can learn. And we are in the right place to learn. God wants to be known by us. But God is in control of the revelation of himself to us. He is the one who pulls back the curtain of the universe and allows us to look inside. And it is always mysterious and it is always surprising. So let's start this journey of discovery. We're going to be in this series for nine weeks. So I'm hoping we will learn a lot by the end of that. And we're going to go right back to the, the beginning of the Old Testament, to the early stories of the Bible, of God creating a people, a special people who will be his ambassadors across the earth. He takes a small tribe of Hebrew people and calls them out from the surrounding culture to teach them about himself. His plan was for them to be a blessing to the world. Now, the cultures surrounding this Hebrew tribe were practicing pagan religion. There were hundreds of gods in nature, in the trees, in the sea, in the weather, and these gods were capricious. They were moody and could change their minds for no reason, a bit like two-year-olds. Can you imagine having a god with the emotion of a two-year-old? A thunderstorm meant they were angry. They had to make a sacrifice quickly to appease him. The God of our Bible calls this special tribe out of that culture and says, let me teach you about the one creator God of the universe. But at the start, they had no idea what this God was like. Was he like a two-year-old? Was he different? Now, Moses is their leader, as we read in the book of Exodus, and he develops a unique relationship with God. It says that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Now, not, we're not speaking literally face to face, but it's like Moses was able to come into the presence of God and communicate with him in a way that nobody else could. But Moses wanted more. He said to God, now show me your glory. Moses wants to see God for who he is, to experience him as you would a beloved friend, not just as the force. But God says to him, you cannot see all of me because you would not survive the power of that. But here's what I will do. First, I will protect you by hiding you in a rock. Then, and we're reading from Exodus. And the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name. The Lord, Yahweh, in your presence. So, God has a name, Yahweh. Now, there's much more to come on that, and uh, Rick is going to unpack that word next week. Now, the next morning, Moses gets up early and he climbs Mount Sinai. 
Can you imagine the only person in that era to connect with God in such a personal way? So what happens? We're reading from chapter 34 in Exodus. Then the Lord Yahweh came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord Yahweh, the Lord Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Incredible. This is one of the few passages in the entire Bible where God describes himself. This is what I am like. If you want to know me, well, here I am. Listen to this. Now, we're going to know this passage very well by the time we finish this series because we're going to pull it apart phrase by phrase. Now, there's some stuff there that you're saying, oh, that is so beautiful. That's a God I know. And there's some other stuff there where you're thinking, really? Did God really say that? You're going to have to hang in there to get the unpacking of the whole of this passage. And I'm telling you, it may not be what you think it is. Here's some other versions and other translations of that verse. God, God, a God of mercy and grace, endlessly patient, so much love, so deeply true, loyal in love for a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion and sin. Still, he doesn't ignore sin. He holds sons and grandsons responsible for a father's sin to the third and even fourth generation. And here's another version. The Lord, the Lord God, with loving pity and loving favour, slow to anger, filled with loving kindness and truth, keeping loving kindness for thousands, forgiving wrongdoing and sin. But he will not let the guilty go without being punished. He brings the sin of the fathers down upon the children, even the great-grandchildren. Now, this passage is close to being the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible. So here's a treat for Bible nerds. I'm going to give you just, just a sampling of other passages in um, the Bible that actually quote what God has said here. In Numbers, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Psalm 86, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. In Jeremiah, you show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. In Joel, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And Jonah, he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? 
That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And in Nehemiah, they became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. And there are so many more I could quote. Now, Tim Mackey, who is the editor of The Bible Project, calls these verses the John 3.16 of the Hebrew Bible. Now, if we put these verses side by side, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And we put that next to these verses. Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving witness, wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. If we put those verses next to each other, if that is all, that we had of the Bible, what would we know about God? What would we know about his character? It's so wonderful that when God tells us about himself, he doesn't start with how big and powerful he is or how he could, he could crush us like an insect in an instant. Or if, if you do not do what I have asked you to do, I will send thunder upon you. Or ask, who do you think you are to come into my presence like the scary Wizard of Oz? He tells us about his character. Compassionate, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, serious about sin. This is what makes God, God. And he is better than we could ever imagine. But even with all of this, we must never think that we can know all of God. We are the creature. He is the creator and he is God, mysterious and wonderful. And over the next few weeks, we are going to humbly seek to look behind the curtain to see who it is that has our whole world in his hand. Now, I just want to finish by showing you this picture. I remember the first time I saw this, it was in, um, it was in a message that was being given by Louis Giglio at Hillsong. And it's a picture taken from a satellite that was being, that was, had gone all the way to Jupiter. It was a, the furthest that any human satellite had got. And just as it was heading towards Jupiter's um, moons, NASA sent the command for the camera to spin around and take a photograph back towards Earth. 
And this is the picture that they came up. It's so famous, it's called the pale blue dot. And we've had to use a, an arrow on it so you can actually see that tiny little dot just caught in this, in this band of sunlight is our earth, our home. And I often think this is, this is like a God, God's view of the universe. This is God's view of us, just this tiny little dot in the universe. And yet, and yet we are so loved. The psalmist says in Psalm 8, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? human beings that you care for them. Who are we to even hope to know a little of God? Oh, the wonderful thing is he invites us to do just that. In Jeremiah, he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. God has a name. God wants you to know him. Can we just sit for a moment?